Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast is brought to you by Goliath Technologies and Liquidware. If you enjoy the show each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. Citrix have announced the acquisition of Sappho, which they have called a leading micro-app platform that enables a better and smarter work experience. It has been suggested that it will help advance the company's vision for their workspace offering. If you aren't familiar with Citrix Workspace, I suggest you watch the Citrix Synergy keynote on YouTube, and you can watch or listen to my Synergy Highlights episode of this podcast, which is episode 19. That should give you a sense of Citrix Workspace and why this acquisition makes sense. In the article to announce the acquisition, Citrix themselves answered the question of why. They want Sappho for Citrix Workspace to give employees flexible access to all the apps and insights they need to work where and how they want and be productive in a single place. To leverage innovative technologies such as machine learning alongside simplified workflows to organize work and guide employees through their day automatically serving up tasks they need to focus on and the intelligence needed to get them done quickly, as well as to build employee skills and keep them on the cutting edge in their fields. The Sappho technology improves personal productivity by consolidating access to tools, activities, and tasks in a simple unified work feed. It's integrated with the way you work, available on mobile, desktop, or your preferred communication tool like email, Slack, or Microsoft Teams. Sappho integrates with leading enterprise applications and offers out-of-the-box micro-apps for applications such as Salesforce, Workday, ServiceNow, Microsoft Teams, Microsoft Power BI, SAP Conquer, and more. And if you look at some of the screenshots from Sappho, you can see things in there like SharePoint. So a lot of the productivity applications for not just IT teams, but various different departments in an organization could be accessed from a single dashboard that presumably is going to be integrated within the Citrix workspace and leverage some of the seamless workflows that they demonstrated in the keynote at Synergy. It's also interesting that ServiceNow is mentioned in there because ServiceNow was one of the products they singled out during the keynote as one of their key partnerships, and ServiceNow is very widely used across the enterprise. I look forward to seeing what Sappho is going to look like once it's integrated within Workspace. I'm also already really excited for what Workspace could mean. The Windows 10 1809 Saga rolled on this week. Paul Turret was pretty scathing when discussing the failed release calling it embarrassing and Microsoft's inability to communicate what was happening as unacceptable. He laid out the timeline of events also, labeling it a fiasco. On October 2nd, Microsoft originally launched the October 2018 update. It did this weeks early, skipping over the normal release preview phase of testing for some reason. Windows 10 version 1809 SDK was also made available. On October 16th, Microsoft pushed a fixed version. This was after days of publicizing improvements in Edge and some of the features added to this release. And that marketing of those improvements and new features initially had no mention of issues. But as issues came to light with data loss, as I reported on this podcast, Microsoft stated there were only isolated cases of of that happening. As I also reported, people had other problems such as connectivity issues within Edge which required enabling IP version 6 as a fix. On October 23rd, 
there were reports of a second data loss bug. While all of this is going on, the next preview version had already been released and had multiple updates. On November 13th, this Tuesday, Microsoft resumed the Windows 10 1809 rollout after thoroughly investigating and resolved all related issues. So in summation, there's the initial bad release, they continued marketing some of the features despite numerous reports of issues. They pulled the original release, published a fixed version, had to pull that again. And now over a month later, version 1809 has been rolled out again. So 1809, as of right now, is available on the Software Download Center on Windows Server Update Services and Windows Update for Business. Windows 10 version 1809 is also now available on the Volume License Service Center. However, it may take a little more time before all editions in all languages are available. This release should also be available on Visual Studio subscriptions, which is MSDN, sometime today or tomorrow, I believe. So while I know plenty of people are really frustrated with Microsoft on this, maybe I'm the only one who has noticed this, but a few vendors whose products I use day to day have moved to the same type of release cadence as Microsoft. Pretty much across the board, for those who have used this cadence, I have noticed more and more issues with new releases than in the past. Microsoft have claimed their testing rings and the use of analytics should be reducing the possibility of issues arising or at least that was the initial pitch. In this case, they didn't seem to follow their own set of scheduling, which is very worrying as a customer and user. Data loss is about as big of an issue as one can encounter. I hope in future Microsoft will just hold off on releasing if it's something they feel they have rushed, which I bet was the case here. I sympathize with the developers as fellow techies, as I'm sure they're under a lot of pressure to meet their deadlines to fit the new cadence, but slowing down and playing it safe could have saved a lot of people headaches and should be considered in the future. So I did just say headaches with Windows 10, right? Well, even in this reworked release, it's not without its issues. It has been revealed that currently map network drives do not work in 1809 and frankly, the workarounds are laughably bad. Computerworld.com have reported multiple other issues, including issues with the updates not downloading into WSUS. There's already an acknowledged bug also with file name extensions not being assignable to specific programs. That same problem now also appears as a known bug for Windows 10 1803 as well, going back all the way to September 26th. Unfortunately, 1809 has just been plagued with problems. In some other news, and this one is a little on the consumer tech side to be honest, which I tried to avoid on this podcast, but it caught my eye. The Verge reported a story that Google have confirmed that using the dark mode setting in Android is a huge help for battery life. This is something users have noticed themselves, but now Google are confirming. At Android's Dev Summit this week, they actually showed some metrics. Max brightness white setting uses about seven times as much current draw as max brightness with black. They also compared via a paused YouTube video, which showed huge benefits for the battery life when compared to running the YouTube app with a default setting. As reported on many episodes of the podcast, dark modes are becoming more and more widely available for all kinds of apps and operating systems, and this could be a good reason for making the jump to those. Segwaying now from a story about Microsoft releasing a preview of the next Windows 10 despite rolling back 1809 a few weeks ago and a story about battery saving dark theme modes. 
The Verge have reported that Microsoft is planning to introduce a new light theme in Windows 10. It looks pretty slick, and it's very easy to toggle between light and dark, so this could be easier on the eyes for some on their PCs who are maybe less concerned about battery life. Or even if you have a docked PC and you want to use the light theme during the day to help your eyes and then set it to dark when you're on the battery. The theme will appear next April. That version will also include improvements to the new snipping tool, updates to the printing app, and intelligent hours for Windows updates so it doesn't randomly reboot your device. So this next story could have been in scripts, tricks, and tips, but I figure since I've, I'm pretty deep into AppV myself and haven't encountered the problem, that it could be something that's only relevant to a few people. Dan Gah shared an interesting issue. When launching an application he sequenced, it takes a ridiculously long time to launch and hogs all of the CPU available. He suggests a pretty simple fix to the registry in the package. If that issue sounds familiar, check the reference links with this episode, which is episode 47 on 5bytespodcast.com or in the YouTube description. This week, Microsoft announced a new Azure Account Manager. If you use multiple accounts and always deal with the pain in the ass of one not logging out properly when trying to switch to another, this could be your savior. Citrix CTP George Spears reported a bug in Zenapp and Zen Desktop 715CU2's VDA, which may result in the seamless window overlapping your local Windows taskbar. You'll want to contact Citrix for a private fix if you encounter this. And while I'm on the topic, George has the best resource for all Citrix fixes. A single page that lists all fixes and he keeps it up to date. I'll link it with this episode. VMware Cloud on AWS is now available in Asia Pacific, Tokyo region. This week, Intune added a preview feature which is autopilot support for hybrid Azure Active Directory joined devices. As reported on a previous episode and covered in a blog post by Trent Tai and I, Microsoft have announced Office 365 Pro Plus support has been dropped for Windows Server 2019 RDSH. So your options going forward will be run Windows Server 2016 or a prior version until its support end date rather than Server 2019. You could use Windows Virtual Desktop or WVD, which I also covered in a previous episode, which runs on Azure and offers multi-user Windows 10 session capabilities and will support Office 365 natively. And that's expected to be released the first quarter of 2019. If you haven't already, you could also sign up for a preview when that becomes available. For companies using Microsoft products to deliver its hosted software services to customers, you can use Office Pro Plus licensed under Microsoft SPLA. Other licensing agreements don't permit installation of Office on shared third-party cloud VMs. Seems pretty restrictive. Uh, or you could run Office locally on the user's PC rather than on Windows Server 2019 RDSH. So this is pretty disappointing, paints people into a bit of a corner, at least in their long-term planning, but I guess it is what it is. This week was the 15th anniversary of the release of VMware's vMotion feature. As Steve Kaplan said on Twitter, this feature changed the data center and spawned a massive industry. And I couldn't have timed this any better, but Ryan Kelly on Twitter shared an anecdote that just this week he was v-motioning VMs across the US from Texas to Virginia and back every day and that it still f- feels like this capability would never happen in his lifetime. It is pretty amazing to think that it's only 15 years old. I think a lot of us likely take this feature for granted. If you don't use Windows Admin Center, you should. 
And if you do, Microsoft are requesting you complete a survey to help make it better. Here's a fun one. This week, Lee Berg released a ransomware simulator. It's pretty interesting. The UI looks a lot like WannaCry. I'm not sure if there's a good use for this, possibly only evil and heart attack inducing, but I trust you will all use it wisely. Maybe it's good for InfoSec geeks. IGL Technologies Disrupt events will be taking place January 23rd through 25th in Munich, Germany, and in Silicon Valley, USA, February 5th through 7th, with promises of some exciting announcements. And on the topic of announced conferences, E2EVC have confirmed that there will not be a US event in 2019. However, the EUC Masters Retreat event will be taking place May 3rd through 5th in Hotel Adeline in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've had the pleasure of attending this conference over the last two years. It's a blast and this year promises to be even better with the introduction of a masterclass event too. In the last two years, it's been held up north in Prescott. This year with Scottsdale, it's going to be right in Old Town Scottsdale, which is one of the nicest hangouts in the entire Phoenix metro area. If you're feeling like a little bit of sun, you want to attend a pool party, check out Old Town Scottsdale, which is one of the most livable cities in the United States, according to some marketing, then this could be the perfect opportunity. Also, you can hang out with me and a bunch of other geeks. One last thing in the news segment, I mentioned it on a previous episode of the podcast, but once again, I'll be speaking on MVP Days Online on November 28th. I have a half hour session on enterprise application delivery in 2018. I'll be talking about workspace platforms, application virtualization, containers, layering, and more. I'll include a link for registration with this episode of the podcast. And now for this episode's hot job. This week's hot job is from Novosco. They are looking for an application packager in Belfast or Cambridge. The successful candidate should have five years of experience in application repackaging and virtualization, experience of applications packaging and on large-scale projects, solid knowledge of Microsoft offering systems, knowledge of application packaging technologies including MSI, AppV, application layering, and XE silent installs. Should have operational knowledge of SCCM, Intune, AppSense, ZenApp, Zen Desktop, and Zen Mobile. Also experience in the use of Admin Studio, knowledge of scripting in VBScript and PowerShell, experience of using the AppV sequencer, specifically version 5, and excellent problem-solving skills. Main duties include packaging all applications identified by the managed service team, packaging using Admin Studio, AppV, and application layering technologies, produce high-quality release documentation, remediating defects, and resolving any problems related to application packages, basic testing of applications after packaging before handing over to testing team, and also work effectively to deadlines in line with SLAs and working with test managers on prioritization. So, I mean, run-of-the-mill application packaging stuff using the most widely used packaging tools out there. But it's an excellent opportunity for anybody interested in living and working in Cambridge or Belfast. And now for this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. I actually want to include two tips this week. First, a short one. 
I came across a great article on using PowerShell to convert data in a CSV into a pie chart image. Typically, I pull data from email alerts to populate spreadsheets and use that to create pivot tables with charts. This is something which is very useful for me as it cuts out a lot of that manual work. And it might be useful for you too. Also this week, Don Wirtz posted a great article on how to troubleshoot failed deployments in SCCM. I've seen multiple posts on this topic, but this article seems to encapsulate multiple articles and puts the info into one place. If you're new to SCCM, you'll definitely want to check this one out. When new to it, figuring out the various different logs is a nightmare, and this details it all beautifully. That's it for another week. As always, thanks so much for listening.